0: Uh, while you're turning there, it's just past Joel, by the way. We do celebrate, and I will talk a little bit about uh, the overturning of the road decision. That was not something I had planned weeks ago since I didn't know when that was going to happen, but uh, we will uh, mention that. Let me also say again. You are Free Wednesday. It's very informal. We had a great discussion this past Wednesday uh, on marriage is between a man and a woman. And, uh, you know, Ray did a great job leading us through the book. Jim Newheiser does a very concise, just, you know, easy to digest ways to think about things uh, that are helpful. So uh, do join us this Wednesday. And as we said, not be the week of the fourth, however. This is also uh, special for me. My mother is here sitting there beside my daughter, and uh, even I I thought a lot about James's encouragement uh, on, was it Mother's Day, where James just talked about the wonderful ministry that mothers have, and uh, even in this context where where we can rejoice with the overturning of the road decision, uh, I'm reminded, uh, you know, children are a blessing of the Lord, and one of the great things about Mothers, it's true of my mother, is I always felt like a blessing. She, she loved us so much. I thought about uh, telling a funny story about her, like maybe when the cat got in the, I don't know if it was the, the drying machine or the washer, and it came out and it was dead, and she was just very upset. And I remember coming in crying to dad. Um, uh, but I won't go down that road. You can ask her about the, the dead cat. I thought instead I'd tell you, I was, we were telling our sons and Anna Gray, like, hey, you know, birthdays, I know some people probably make too big a deal out of birthdays. Well, you know, pick a meal and we'll have a few gifts. And uh, I said, you know, that's how it was always in my house. And I think that's normal. And one of the kids said, yeah, dad, but with Nana, that's what they call my mom, with Nana, basically every day is your birthday. <laughs> so, and that is entirely true. She, she just uh, lavished love upon us. And so even as we think about Roe, I think in some ways we don't want to do it apart from celebrating uh, the blessing of children, even though that's maybe not what I'll do here. So anyway, Amos, maybe you're there by now. Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses. We're going to look at Amos 1 and 2. And if you would, and if you're able, if you would stand, and we'll just read Amos chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Lord, we pray for this time now. We don't pray that uh, any words I have. We don't pray for any uh, cleverness. We just pray you would show us from your word the greatness that is our God. And we pray this for help with his spirit and the confidence we have in Christ Jesus alone. Amen. All right, you can be seated. <laughs> so Amos, I know we haven't been in Amos. This is kind of a uh, I was going to preach, and I was interested a little bit in some of the minor prophets. So I wanted to look at Amos. And one of the central questions for Amos is: Does God care? Do things really matter? There's so much confusion, especially in America today. Whether we're talking about abortion, where literally we're talking past people. We, I mean, if you've followed any of the discussions on social media. Uh, the, the the very bearings that people have miss each other. The, the confusion is immense. Does God care? Amos is really concerned with this question. Does it matter or does God care because things are wicked or, or things wicked because you think they're wicked or uh, because I do, because uh, what someone says or how someone feels? But the reality is we do look, it is a, a normal question to ask as we look around the world. There's obviously uh, tremendous suffering, whether you want to talk about uh, the genocide of, of babies or any number of suffering. It can be even something much more minor that is still, still sinful, still is horrible. And does, does God care is Amos's question. Does, does it matter to God? The Martin Luther King speech, the the I Have a Dream speech, is actually from Amos uh, in the latter part of the book. We won't look at that. But Amos 5, let justice roll down like waters. That's from Amos. And Amos in 1 and 2 would beg the question, would you want that? Would you want justice to really roll down? The short answer to the question, uh, does God care, is yes, God does care. But as we look at these first two chapters, we will see that means, on one hand, maybe what we expect, that that wickedness, uh, ungodliness, those who raise their fists to God, that is not something that God, uh, God overlooks. However, as we just saw, uh, God is also compared to a lion. If you followed our memory verse, do you remember what uh, who else is referred to or compared to a lion as we were doing some of our memory work as a church? It wasn't God, right? It was Satan. Satan prowls around like a lion, and Amos, from the jump, is comparing God to a lion, which was uh, very controversial. Amos is a shepherd. We'll talk a little bit more about who he is, but a lion would have been nothing good to a shepherd. So the, the question, yes, God cares, that may mean what we think, and that may mean something far beyond what we would at first think. If I was going to title this sermon, which I never am big on doing, but I would say something like the problem of a caring God. We think of a caring God as a good thing, and in some ways it is, but it also poses a significant problem, not only in Amos' time, but in our time, for all time, uh, the idea that God cares is a problem for people, for all of us. Let's look at verse 1, if you're still with me there. Amos, who was among the shepherds of Decoah, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So the uh, Amos, he is uh, a shepherd. He's not a typical prophet. Later in the book, if maybe you've heard the, the saying, I'm uh, neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, that's Amos. Amos is kind of this uh, atypical prophet that God has raised up with this, in some ways, unusual message for a people who are kind of surprised to, to hear his read on things. We know where he was from. He's from Tekoa. He's a shepherd. Uh, later we also know he tends fig trees. Uh, quite a few people think he probably was poor or common. Some say that maybe wasn't the case. Uh, what is totally agreed upon is that he's unique. He's he's not like other prophets. And the context of Amos's time is his his audience. He's come to Jerusalem, and as we saw in verse one. Israel, the people of God, have split into two essentially rival nations with a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern did not include Jerusalem, but it was the wealthier, probably the more dominant. And uh, Amos is from the southern. Amos is from Judah, and he is in Jerusalem. So uh, this kind of uh, prophet who is not a prophet in maybe some's eyes, although he, of course, is a prophet, And when he says, I'm not a prophet, what he means is, I'm not vocationally a prophet. I'm a shepherd, and yet God is using me uh, to be a prophet to Israel. But that's not who I am. And he's from the the south, and he's come to the north, and he's uh, speaking to these people, which are the people of God. Israel at this time is actually pretty wealthy. Uh, That's part of what makes his take controversial. Uh, Assyria historically had put pressure on Israel and Assyria was kind of in a period of decline, although not permanently. And that pressure created peace. And so the people of God were actually pretty wealthy. They, they were doing good. And Amos is kind of uh, coming and uh, a guy who maybe doesn't have the pedigree that they need to listen to from an area that they don't respect. With a message that, in some ways, doesn't even fit with what they see. You know, hey, look around; things are pretty good, and yet Amos's idea—the the the roar, uh, the Lord roars from Zion. uh, From Zion, there's an earthquake coming. Things actually are worse than you realize. told Carmen, I have to stick notes. I'll I'll ramble off and then I, so forgive me there. Their fear, if if you ignore Amos, what's the danger for Israel? They would clearly say Assyria. They're not who they were. Things are good. Oh, I really hope Assyria doesn't rise back up. I hope they don't come back in and do what they've done to us. And Amos's view from the beginning is You don't have to be afraid of Assyria. You need to be afraid of God. You need to have a fear of who God is, and they had totally lost that. Let's look at Amos 1. So basically what I want us to do is we're going to come back to 1 and 2. This is almost everybody would say, as you look at the book of Amos, the the idea of God as a lion is probably the largest banner over this uh, short book. But we'll come back to that. Let's look first at starting in verse 3, and we'll just look at a few of these. What Amos does to begin with is he's not talking about Israel. He's actually, if you're looking on a map, he's going around Israel, and he's looking at the pagan nations, and he's saying, hey, let me tell you what God thinks about those who are opposed to God. Let me tell you what God thinks about, about your neighbors. And this is what, this is what uh, Amos says about their neighbors. I'll give you two of them in verse 3. Thus the Lord says, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the bar, the, the gate bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon, and him who holds the scepter from Beth-Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into exile to cur, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord in verse six: for the transgressions of Gaza, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashad, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon, I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord, and on and on Amos goes from Gaza to Tyre to Edom to the Ammonites to Moab, and he says, here's what you've done, and he he constantly says, for three transgressions, and for four. And uh, it's a unique saying that Amos is saying. Uh, One guy said, you know, maybe those of us who we as a church gladly uh, promote and believe that the scripture is God's word, but that doesn't mean that men like Amos kind of just sit and act as a robot. You know, these men thought, you know, they, 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 they considered what is it that these people need to hear. And he has this Kind of clever repetition that he says again and again for three times and for four for three times and for four and what he's saying is if 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 three strikes and you're out he's given you four but it's four and you're out it, it, God has been patient but now he is beyond he's gone past what he should and he his judgment is coming uh, and it's and it's this three times and for four, and three times and for four upon each of these nations. And if you look, and there's all kinds of different ways to organize the the different sins, the different ways in which these people have um, provoked God's judgment Gilead, they treated as we read the other people as uh, as threshed them as though they were grain. Gaza entire, they carried a whole people into exile. That's two different groups who did the same thing. Edom, uh, they murdered uh, a brothered people. Now this could mean there was a treaty and they were people who broke their word and murdered. It could mean they were historically a people who should have been tied to another nation, and uh, regardless. There's some historical break that happened where they killed these other people. The Ammonites, maybe this is the uh, sin he lists here, most like abortion, and that they ripped open pregnant women, although this was not people promoting that as a good thing that unfortunately we have in our society. This was a nation who sought to kill the babies of their rivals to prevent, uh, you know, the blessing of family and people, you know, inhabiting a land so that. They could take it. And so he goes through and says, this is what you did, and this is what you did. And these are all people who are not God's people, all of them. For three transgressions and for four, for three transgressions and for four. You're out, you're out, you're out. And so he acts. uh, we've, We've looked briefly at the sin. You can go back and look. But in a similar way, he pronounces judgment. He pronounces, here's what I will do because of what you have done. I will devour. I will exile. I will send fire upon Gaza. God will send fire upon Tyre, fire in Edom, fire among the Amorites, fire among Moab. These nations may not be God's people but God is still their problem. There, there is, uh, I don't know if you've seen this clever, I think people mean it cleverly, this kind of thing on uh, these you know, little inspirational sayings, you, not, uh, you may not believe in God, but God believes in you. That's, that's entirely true, but I don't think that's the encouragement that maybe people think it is. Whether if, if the God of the Bible who is the living God, is God, that has ramifications whether you think he is or you don't. And Amos is going around and saying, hey, this God is a problem for the Amorites. He is a a problem for Gaza. And and not just, hey, in your heart, that's a problem. That's gonna feel bad. It's a, a, a manifestation of, hey, your unbelief and your judgment is going to be physically present in these places, God is not mocked. Never. Not when people are mistreated. Not. Uh, it's not merely when Israel if 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 the people of Israel were being killed by these people, God is not merely concerned with that, although of course he is. He's concerned when, when Amorites rip open the wounds of other pagan nations. That's still an abomination to God, and he will not be mocked, not forever. God is showing his displeasure at these people. One, one thing that interested me in this. Uh, Carmen got me a book a few years ago. I haven't finished it. It's just uh, every page is very dense, but it's so good. It's uh, Herbert Schlossberg, and uh, he was a man. He grew up Jewish. He became a professor in the Midwest, and um, I think he was converted to Christ while in the military prior to being a professor, but he kind of spent so much of his thinking. uh, how How do we think about an unbelieving world? How do we think about the American context that we find ourselves? And he was extremely concerned about the the paganist, the, the, the secularization that was going on in America. And this was in the 1980s. And I think back to the 1980s as a kind of kid of the 80s and think by our standards, it almost seems wholesome. You, you're almost shocked at what they got away with, maybe say, on television in the 80s, what would be normal. And Schlossberg is looking at that and saying, This is this is really scary where we're going as a people. And he would, as you think about these nations, one one thing he he describes, he goes through things like history and economics and uh, humanism and just the way in which we have just the water we swim in in our culture. These ideas creep in that, that we don't always think about. And in nations, he says, uh, historically, the, the way we analyze cultures, the way we analyze our culture today tends to be in these kind of frameworks like uh, healthy, uh, is it It's an aging, maybe it's a dying society, or maybe it's a thriving society. But we have these kind of metaphors that that because it's so common in maybe academia or whatever, it shapes how we think about history. And he says, but biblically, societies are either under judgment or they're not. And there's no such thing as a thriving society. I don't care how technically advanced we may be, but who raise their fists to God, that is not a society that, that you should have hope for. And there's a, there's a real arrogance that we may, you know, see, see wealthy Americans who murder their babies and somehow uh, differentiate that between a developing nation where tribes come in and kill other tribes, either way, it's, it's horrible. And, and you can't say, well, yeah, but, but these people, uh, they had full stomachs when they did it, so doesn't that mean they're better? No, it doesn't mean they're better at all. And it's a problem, it's a problem for our nation, or any other nation. The other point he made that, that I think about, and this isn't necessarily specifically talking about uh, idolatry, but we do see that these are not the people of God, and that idol worship, idols aren't real, right? We, we, we do know that they're not real, and yet idol, word, uh, idol worship totally shapes people. Just because their God is fake, does not mean there's not real consequences for a people who worship false gods. Uh, because, of course, what you worship sets the tone for all manner of things. We do rejoice. We can rejoice that, uh, in, in, at least in some small way, our nation has seen fit to say, hey, maybe, maybe abortion is not a right that everybody has to do maybe we shouldn't just be outright celebrating it maybe we should allow states to decide for themselves i mean that's an improvement that's not crazy but why would we ever even have a society where you could do that and it's because there's an idol of personal autonomy and personal freedom and who is anybody to tell someone what's right or wrong you know that that affects my life and uh, that, that's an idol. And is is that a real idol? Is that a rival to God? In some ways, no. But in some ways, it still brings judgment upon those people. And so, as I think Tom Askell has said, something like 65 million babies have been aborted and murdered since the road decision in the 70s. And so we, we thank God that that, that has uh, been overturned. But no matter what it is abortion, some other thing. There, there is no shaking a fist, tiny fists shaking against a mighty God, and think God will just endure forever. It, it, it's not, it's not going to happen. Even now, people are given over to that God, uh, by that God, to those sins. But. The problem is Amos is going to go on, and we'll, we'll continue to look here, is that is to be somewhat expected for those who do not worship the living God, who do not know the truth, right? If your idol is personal autonomy and you do therefore accept this sacrament of abortion, well, that is in keeping with your religion. And what Amos is doing is as he's going around and saying, and again, he's talking to the people of Israel. He's saying, look at what they're doing, and look at what they're doing, and look at what they're doing, and look at what they're doing, and, they're doing. and the people of Israel are like, yes, uh, we didn't think we liked this guy from Judah, but maybe maybe he's okay. We like this guy, but he's not doing this so much as he's putting a bullseye on Israel. As one guy said, he's tying a noose around the people of God because he's saying they are like that because they worship these false gods. Of course, it's going to lead to all these things, but you have the law. We are God's chosen people. Why would that be so here? It should not be. Look with me at chapter two. He goes around nation to nation through chapter two, verse three. You can see the end of chapter, uh, verse 3 in chapter 2. I will cut off the ruler from its mists. I will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. By the way, hopefully, if you were in Israel and you were hearing this, in one sense, maybe you did say uh, yes and amen, but when you hear the judgment, I can't help but wonder, would there not be some pause and say, "Oh, hang on, <laughs> maybe God's caring means more than what I thought. In verse four, thus says the Lord, and this is a judgment on Judah. Remember Judah and Israel, two separate nations. They're still the people of God, and yet they've been divided. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord. Nowhere else do we see the law of the Lord in those other nations. Those nations didn't have that. They did because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. Their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who had been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, some of your young men for Nazarites, Is it not indeed so, a people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift on foot, shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. Let's look at two more verses in chapter three. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So this is the shift. We talk first, in some ways, the world. How do we think about the world? And we should. We should think about the world. But as the people of God, we have to give serious thought to who God is if we consider him our God, if we are to be his people. So Amos is now shifting from the world to the people of God. The noose has been tightened, and I'm sure... The amens maybe had ceased because he's using the same that same phrase that may, maybe you know kind of a zinger against your enemy. May, maybe you like that, you know. May, maybe that that sounded really nice when when somebody put him down. Just just had to for three and for four, and you just they Amos phrased it in a way where you just kind of stirred you in your gut. Yeah, get him. And now he's using that exact same phrase, but it's from the people of God in a way that totally would have caught their attention. Hey, you're not special. (laughs) You you should be special and you're not special. And and this is a God who cares. And this is a God who you should have a a God-honoring fear of. Uniquely, you should have it. And you don't. And they would look around. Sure, they were trying to deflect and say, hey, but we're, we're wealthy. I mean, do you see? I mean, isn't, isn't this God's blessing? Isn't, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Amos, but it doesn't exactly comport with where we are. Look at our enemies Assyria. Syria. Look, look what they're doing. We're actually a really wealthy people now. And Amos says, no, th- th- this is not blessing where, where Amos is looking at them and they're saying, blessing, Amos is seeing rot. And and where they're seeing uh, a bright future, hey, things are getting better for God's people, Amos is saying, uh, no, actually an earthquake is coming to you in two years. And then we see all these other, uh, as the book goes on, judgments against these people. You do not have a bright future You who think so little of the God who did these things for you. Look, he's raised up your sons. He brought you out of Egypt. He slayed your enemies. And and because you have no respect as God's people for who he is, he will come to you next. One person said, and I thought this was interesting, (laughs) you cannot hide from God. No one can, right? The the non-believer, but it's odd to think a church would be the place to hide from God. This is the wrong place to hide from God. It's a bad idea to hide from God in the church. a bad idea. You can't, you can't do that. It's not a hopeless message. Uh, lions roar, right? It's not the same as a lion's attack. There, there is a sense in which even here, God's judgment is coming. It, it's... it's uh, a lion's roar. I don't know what sound would make your blood run cold. I can remember, you know, we got a lot of young kids. You know, there's there's like normal crying, and then there's like the cry that something's bad has just happened. And I can remember that would make your blood run when you heard the the fear cry. The, it's like a cry with a scream because it meant like, man, what am I about to walk into when I go to? You know, is it like a finger? Gonna be off. What's what's gonna? You know, it would it would make your blood that scream. And for Amos, I just as a shepherd, it's that you're in the night and you hear a lion roar. It doesn't mean the lion's gonna kill you immediately, but it means hey, there's a threat. There's a real threat. And Amos is coming to to the people and saying, Can you hear it at all? I know you're rich. I know you think you're prospering, but is there any semblance of hearing? Do you hear this roar? I don't know what sound you might say it is uh, for you. For for Amos, I do think it was the lion. The earthquake is still two years away, according to him in in, uh, the very beginning of chapter one. But I think a a difference, uh, I, I think probably most of us here know the problems with the um the the aisle walking the these kind of asking Jesus into your heart as though Christ were a, a ticket and there's a number of examples you could say where where coming to God is this is this emotional event that you get behind you and and then you're good because uh kind of at the heart of that is the heart that that Christianity is a heart religion even in kind of this graduation season it's obviously common for us to tell young graduates, hey, you know, go the, the world is, is your blank canvas. Go out. But <laughs> the world is not a blank canvas. And Christianity does not preach a mere heart change. It's It includes that, of course, but it, it has a whole view in which we see the world as God's creation and under the authority of God. And so we can't minimize it to, to these things. And that's what uh, God's people did. They, they had taken what should have been a true fear of God and they thought it was a birthright and it wasn't. We have to see that God does care. He does care. That can mean good things, but we also have to know for, for those who reject God, for uh, any of us who reject God, that's not a lotion, God's caring. That, that's actually a threat. God cares. It matters. When you tell your kids or when someone says, hey, this matters, right? That doesn't mean it just matters however you want to do it. No, there's an external reality to the world we live in that, that, that we, despite all the American gibberish we hear, that you don't get to create. You submit to it or you don't. The church, I think in some ways, Likes the idea that this is a a place to hide from God, and of course we do want to hold out our hope in christ but i I remember I was thinking uh my brother will was telling our boys uh, he was at NC state he was a horticulture major, and they had to do this field trip to the mountains for like plant identification or something, and uh, you know this is a class of college students at a large state university and Will and maybe one other, one other student, they were outspoken Christians. The professor was pretty outspoken atheist. And most of the other were, you know, they probably would have liked to see themselves as, hey, we're in the middle. You know, we're, we're the sons of the Christian South and the daughters. And, yeah, I think the night before as they were camping and doing this, there was uh, debauchery and there, there was sin. And it's not, not to wink at at all. And that was happening. But, you know, in their minds... That didn't make them the pagan professor, although, yeah, this Will, he's a, he's a good Christian guy. and So that's kind of where they are, and uh, they were doing some plant identification. It was getting later in the day, and there's like a, I don't know, it's either sunrise or a sunset. I'm assuming a sunset. I don't guess they got up super early. And the professor called out Will and said, uh, you know, the problem, Will, uh, with people like you is you, you expect more than this. You know, you, you can't just enjoy a beautiful sunset. You've got to have more. And, uh, you know, Will's response was kind of along the lines of well, the problem with you and, and your beautiful sunsets is what do you have to say about all the suffering people who they're not looking at a sunset right now? And it was this, this really uh, awkward moment, right, between my brother and this professor. And, and the reason he was telling this story was not because it was weird for them. They knew where they stood. This guy knows this professor. He knows exactly what he thinks. Will knows exactly what he thinks. The awkwardness was for these other students because it's like, what do I do? Am I going to be like this religious nut who is not willing to go along with this professor? Or do I go with the godless professor? But the reality is that is the choice. I mean, you, there is an element to Amos where he's saying there, there's not middle ground and there isn't the the common comparison to amos that people would set would be the burning bush where moses you go up and you see this thing and and the god who is i am what do you do you know and and these these young people these students or every person today as as you encounter a god who cares it doesn't allow uh negotiation you know there there's you can't you can't Come to church enough to put God in this little box that you separate over here. It's a problem. If you had to go to a New Testament parallel, you know, you you could go to a lot. Um, I think John's sermon from last week is actually a, a really helpful place to go. We're at the Sermon of the Mount. What people were amazed by was not Jesus's kind of flowery speech alone, but he spoke as one with authority, right? Jesus spoke as an authority. He spoke as one who, uh, you know, the scribes wouldn't probably have cared as much about miracles and great things. It was Jesus's authority that came into conflict with with these people, And, and it's Jesus's authority that comes into conflict with our society today. The other parallel I thought was Jesus' question to Peter, who who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus a really nice guy? I mean, maybe maybe if you were honest, you would say, you know, I find Jesus boring. Or is Jesus an authority? We we totally believe that there is hope for every sinner. For the woman who's had an abortion, for the abortion doctor, there is hope, but that hope is for Christ as Lord, not for a a sentimental savior, and not for a, a savior that's relegated to to some small place uh, that the you know gives you three steps to kind of put this behind you. It matters who you say Jesus is, and when I Look at this nation that, that I love, and I do love this nation. I don't think patriotism is a bad word in any sense. But I will say, I, I, I just feel like the roar is increasingly just deafening. The, the, the degree to which, as a people, we rise our fists to God in any, any manner of ways and, and call what is wicked Good. And I think from Amos, you'd have to say for those apart from Christ, that's, that's not entirely inconsistent. The people who curse the life draught, they drown, and that's consistent. The, the inconsistency is for the people of God to not truly fear, not to revel in, in his word, to not hear the roar to totally discount sin because there's no negotiating. There's only surrender or, or, or you can go to war and, and lose, but there's there's no middle ground. I do rejoice. I think we as a church can rejoice. We as a family, we, we prayed and thanked the Lord for this Supreme Court case. But uh, whether it's, Abortion, whether it's any any manner of things in our society, uh, we don't belittle sin. We don't, and, and we dare not. But our fear, our fear, is not of abortion doctors or you know uh, liberal agendas. That that's not our fear. We don't have to be afraid of that. We do want to live in reverence, in awe in a God-honoring fear of who he is. God will not be mocked forever. Lions will pounce. Earthquakes will come. and We are those with God's word. We can say, each of us can say, I can say, hey, for three times and for four, I'm past it, right? There should have been no hope for me. There should be no hope for for any of us, and we uniquely are the ones who can say, and yet there is hope for us because we are those who know that sin will, in fact, be punished. Every sin of every person will be punished. It'll be punished upon yourself. You are liable for that, or or Christ will die for that sin, but those are the only two options. And so the millions of babies, I pray, are born healthy. I pray into... They have mothers like mine. They would have churches that would say and, and could proclaim in, in, in true belief that we need not be afraid of the one who can kill the body, but that uh, the one who can kill the body and the soul in hell. So, so may we have that fear. May the church of Jesus Christ, may his people be marked by that. Let, let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, prophets like Amos, just uncommon men who are faithful. I pray you raise up many more. We pray you would raise up many more faithful men from just totally typical backgrounds, faithful men and faithful women, young people in this nation, that they might come and find churches that are united, not merely out of sentimentality, although, of course, Lord, we do pray you would touch the hearts of your people. We don't want dry obedience, and yet, Lord, we do pray you would mark us, you would unite us in fear of your name, I pray that in Christ's name, amen.